purpose, potential, and power. That's the outline for my message today. Good preachers always use the same letter at the start of each point. <laughs> what is my life for? What's the purpose of my life? What potential is there in this guy right here, in you? What kind of potential do we have, actually? And where will the power come from? Where will it come from? All three of those, purpose, potential, and power, they are uniquely given to us with the gift that we celebrate at Christmas. In 1865, William Chatterton Dix, the son of a very successful surgeon, he decided that medicine wasn't for him, despite the fact that what his father wanted more than anything was for his son to follow in his footsteps. Have any of you lived through that? He disappointed his parents. What he wanted to be was a poet, and we all know how lucrative poetry is. <laughs> he got a job selling insurance. And, and no disrespect to insurance salesmen, but it's not the most inspiring job. He sold maritime insurance in Glasgow where he grew up. But on the side, he wrote poetry, and that was a hard life. And then when he was 29 years old, he was struck suddenly with an illness that was so severe, he and everyone around him assumed it would be the end for him. And there in bed, as he lied, trying to recover from this illness, added to his physical dismay was depression. He became severely depressed. And there he lay day after day, wasting away, and he had one thing that kept him going. It was the gift of reading. There was one book that he read, which changed everything. Uh, we're in church together. We know the book he's talking about. It must be the Bible. It was. Something happened as he read the scriptures. He had an encounter with the living Lord Jesus. And it changed everything for him. Not physically yet, but spiritually. He came alive in a new way. And there in his bed, as he was languishing physically, but alive spiritually, he began to write. He wrote there the poems that became the most successful. He wrote there the lyrics to the song that we know as a question. What child is this? And he asked that question because he believed from his own experience that it was the answer to the question of the identity of Jesus that had the power to answer all of life's most fundamental questions. Questions like, what's the purpose of my life? What kind of potential has God put in here? And what's the power that is available to me if only I will find and follow Jesus? At Christmas time, we visit the stories of the birth of Jesus because we Christians believe that in those stories there is the wisdom that we need to come back to every season to see who this child is. Matthew and Luke, they tell the stories that make for beautiful theater, the, the shepherds and the angels, the wise men traveling from afar. This Christmas here at Renaissance, we're going to dwell on the question of who this Jesus is. What child is this? But we're going to let the gospel of John direct us to an answer. Yeah, John. If you know the Gospel of John, why it begins further back than the others. Not just with the lineage of this child, but all the way back at the very beginning, John opens the story of Jesus' nativity, his arrival here, with words that take us as far back as anyone can go. Let's look together at how John begins his Christmas story. In the first verse of his Gospel, John starts like this. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's Christmas story opens with the same phrase at the very start of the book of Genesis, the opening of the Jewish scriptures, the place where we learn about God's creation of the world and all that exists. In the beginning, before there was anything else at all, there was God. And otherwise, the universe was a formless void, but then God created by speaking. He said, let there be light. When I do this, that's your clue. That's a, that's a blank space. Let there be light. And there was light through his word, through his speech, God created and brought into being that which was not present prior to his speech. The word was with God at the beginning, John tells us, and that word was God at the beginning. And now watch, John will show us that the word of God at the beginning had a personal identity. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. John is telling us about Jesus. The personal pronoun, he, refers to Mary's child. The baby who was born in the manger on the first Christmas, he existed from the beginning. Now, I'm not sure what you think about God, but it's important in moments like this to open our ears to what the scriptures have to tell us about who we are dealing with when we come to the manger at Christmas. The one who was with God and was God and was there at the very beginning, John is teaching us that the baby who was born in the manger existed before anything else. He existed with God and as God. And now, watch what John goes on to say about the child in verse 3. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. In the same way that light came into being through God's word, all things came into being through Jesus. Like a piece of music comes into being through the composer, or like a painting comes into being through the artist, or a machine comes into being through the engineer who designed and built it, all things are related to Jesus in this way. No exceptions. Without him, not one thing came into being. John wants us to be absolutely clear on this fact. And now, John narrows the focus even more. Look at this, the second half of verse 3. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. What child is this? This is the child through whom all of life came into being. The life which burns in all people like light burns in the darkness. The life which sets all people apart in creation as the unique image bearers of God himself. The light which right now is alive and burning in you presently, the life which you personally have came into being through Jesus, through the child born in Bethlehem. Here is a partial answer to the question of William Chatterton's song, what child is this? This is the one through whom life came into being. Now, if this is true, then the implications 
are specific and they are significant. And here I want you to think of yourself. If your life came into being through Jesus, then he stands in a unique position of authority in relationship to you personally. Like the engineer of a complex machine is the only one who can say how it's meant to work. As the designer of you, Jesus alone has the capacity to answer life's really big questions for you personally. The question of your life's purpose. The question of your personal potential. The question of where will the power come for this life that you have. Jesus, the one through whom all things came into being, is uniquely positioned to address those questions. And here, let us take our time one step at a time through these three. First of all, answering the question of life's purpose. What is the purpose of my life? Do we have any people among us who enjoy sitting down and thinking about life's purpose? Yes or no? Do we have some people who don't like doing that, but do it a lot nonetheless? Yes or no? And maybe we have some who never like to think about life's purpose at all, just coasting along. The truth about all of us together is that whether we know it or not, we are constantly answering the question of what we believe our life's purpose is by the way we live. Every resource that we have, when we use it, we are indirectly saying, this is what I believe about the purpose of my life. Everything we choose to care about, we are saying, this reflects my sense of what my life is for. Everything we disregard and happily let go of, again, we are indirectly saying, with our actions, this is what I believe about the purpose of life. Now, follow me here. This is logically the case. If your life came into being accidentally, then it is entirely up to you to decide what the purpose of your life is, right? If it just happened to come into being without any purpose behind it, then you should decide on your own without any reference to other people or other uh, ideologies what you think would be best for your life, and then you go for it. But if on the other hand, if what John here, if what John says here is true, well, then, then it's not up to you to decide. If your life comes through Jesus, then he is the one to consult when seeking its purpose. The child in the manger, if you came through him and his intention and his design and his creativity, then he has a privileged role for you. He alone gets to say what your life is for. Just in the same way that the, the engineer of a very complicated machine alone has the privilege of saying, this is how it is meant to operate. And for the good of the machine, it's best when it follows its designer's uh, intentions. Don't you know that? But here, we learn from John that Jesus is the one through whom we've come into being, and that means that he's the one who gets to declare our purpose. And in the Gospel of John, thankfully, as he grows and becomes a teacher who has others with him, we get to oversee his statements about life's purpose. Here, take, our, take your time with this one. In John 15, he is with the disciples at the end, teaching them about the purpose of their lives. And this is what he says. This is 15.12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is what your life is for, according to the one who made you, loving those whom God has put in your path. This is the purpose for your life, to love. This is what life is for. In the way that I have loved you, Jesus says, you should love those that, 
God has put in your path. Who has God put in your path? Right now, would you let them come to mind for a moment? The people that you bump into day in and day out. The people in your family, your friends, the people you work with, who you live around. According to Jesus, the purpose that he has decided for your life is that you should love them like he loved you. And to make it more specific, so it's easier for you to see what that involves, Jesus goes on to add in verse 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here, Jesus says, is the clearest and most definite picture of what I mean when I tell you that you should love. It is that you should lay down your life for your friends. Maybe that sounds to you like Jesus is saying you should be willing to die for your friends. There's much more than that in this phrase of Jesus. If he meant die for your friends, he would have said die for your friends. But to lay one's life down, that means to live for others in a specific kind of way. Uh, the Greek word is magnificently concrete. To lay down one's life, it is to put something that is in your possession into the hands of another so they are free to use it in a way that's helpful to them. Like when your neighbor wants to borrow a tool that you have for your project, and right now you're thinking, ooh, I never got that tool back. But that's what, that's what Jesus means here, to put your life into the hands of your friends in a way that will help them. And do you know that there are things about you which are uniquely helpful to the people around you? They will only be that when you put yourself in their hands in that way. And here Jesus knows that his friends are going to bring to mind the ways they saw him doing that with them because Jesus was laying his life down not just on the cross, but every day he was laying his life down for his friends. And here he's telling them, that's the purpose that I've put in your life. Listen, Take time to seriously invest in the people around you. That's what Jesus did. That was his way of laying his life down for others. Do you have someone that you can invest your life in? Or, or stay with those people through misunderstandings and all of the petty failures that will make you want to cut and run. Jesus stuck around with his friends when they were difficult. Or, or confront the people that are close to you when they need to hear the truth, which you can see and they can't. That's what it looks like to lay your life down. Jesus did that for his friends. You are called to do that. That is the purpose that Jesus says he has in mind when he made you. Relate to them humbly instead of domineering or exploiting your power over them. Stay by their side even when it means a threat to your well-being. According to Jesus, the creator of life, this is the purpose of life, loving the people around you like he loved you. Think for a moment right now of how you might do this kind of thing for a friend in your life now. It could be uh, someone that you met at school years ago. It could be a child. Sometimes we have a friendly rapport with our children. Maybe they're the one that God is calling you right now to love in that way. It could be a spouse or someone at work or someone that you're just getting to know here at church. It has to be someone truly. According to this child in the manger, the purpose of life is for you to love them. How will you do it? Let an answer emerge and hold on to that. This is a step that Jesus is calling you to take. If you will receive his word about what your, the purpose of your life is, then you will hold on to this and, and be ready to act on it uh, when we're done here today. Now, if you have a sense for what your, what your purpose is, then you're ready to, to take a, a second step, and it's this, to answer the question, what is the potential that is here in my life? And Jesus also uniquely is able to speak into that. Do you know that people chronically underestimate 
their potential? Do you believe that's true or not? You might have one person in mind who thinks way too highly of themselves. Forget them. But most of us, (laughs) seriously, most of us have been beaten up enough and disappointed frequently enough and seen our hopes dashed often enough to just give up on on aiming high, and and then we aim chronically low. And that's how it goes over and over again. But, But it's compounded. It's compounded when we have the wrong idea about the purpose of our life. You combine how easy it is to give up with how often people have the wrong idea about what the purpose of life is, and we are pretty meager in what we accomplish altogether. And I'm not just pointing at you. I'm saying me too. Do you know how much confusion there is right now on planet Earth about what the purpose of life is? Man, people have the, the craziest idea about what life is for. And when you have no idea what it's for, you, your, your potential, your, your outlook on your potential is going to be totally in disarray. It's like this. Imagine you're wandering along and you stumble upon an airplane in the age before air travel was a thing. Can you use your imagination and picture that? And there you see this airplane there and you think to yourself, wow, what a strange looking car. And you get in that airplane and you you decide, I'm going to use this to go from one place to another, but you only ever keep it on the ground. To you, it's, it's a functional vehicle, but man, it's awfully noisy and very windy and very oddly shaped, but I guess this is what it's for, and, and, and you go from town to town in this airplane, never, ever taking off into the air, and the reason is you, you've got the wrong idea about what the purpose of this thing is, and therefore you underestimate its potential massively, and you never get off the ground and go on flying. Friends, disciples are like that almost all the time. Not just disciples today, but you know, Jesus' friends were like that as well. They saw the good things that Jesus was doing, and they thought to themselves, only he could ever do something like this. And then when they heard that he was going to die on the cross and depart from them in the way that he had been, they believed in their minds that will mean the end of this entire wonderful movement that began and I guess ends with him. But Jesus needed to correct them because not only can he tell us what the purpose of our life is, but he can also say, here's what the potential is that I've put into you. And in one of those moments where they were afraid that he was going to depart, believing nothing good could come from them without him right there with him, he took them aside and told them what their potential was as his followers. Now, you must receive this as God's word to you too. And we must receive it as God's word to our church altogether. This is Jesus, the author of life. He says this, verse 12 in chapter 14. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Quit underestimating your potential, Jesus says to them. And I say this to you. Let's not underestimate anymore what is possible for us together when we entrust our hearts into the hands of Jesus, the one through whom all things came into being. Trust me, Jesus says, and together your accomplishments will go beyond what you've seen me do. Imagine what it sounded like to those first followers of his. They had seen him built a transformed community of followers. They'd heard his teaching, which had changed their lives. They'd watched him deal with all kinds of troubles. He'd healed their infirmities. He had welcomed and cared for outsiders that no one else welcomed. He challenged old ways of seeing things and opened the path to new life. And now, in this moment, when his disciples are thinking, 
Nothing good is going to come once he's gone. He names their potential for them. Look again, greater works than these. Jesus is trustworthy. He means what he says, and he tells them that they are going to accomplish greater works. He does not mean qualitatively greater. No one else will ever conquer death or die for the sins of other people. Jesus did that, thank God, and has accomplished it. But he does mean quantitatively greater. He means that, that the potential that he has put in his followers will go far beyond geographically and in terms of impact numerically than even what they saw in him. And history certainly confirms the truth of his statement. In fact, you see it already in the scriptures. Here, think this through with me. How many faithful followers did Jesus have when he was up there on the cross? It's hard to say, right? Because you want to say 12, but then you remember Judas, 11. And then if you know the stories, none of them were there as his followers. They all scattered. So maybe it's none. And then in the resurrection, he appears to the faithful who have chosen to gather nonetheless in Jerusalem, and it's 120. That's pretty good, right? And then when Pentecost comes and Peter preaches his sermon, 3,000 converts in one day. Do you see what's happening here? Greater works than these, not because the disciples are so great, but because Jesus, as he said, he has gone to the Father, and from there, he can send his spirit into them. And we're getting ahead of ourselves here because this is the third point about power. Let's stay on potential for a moment. The potential that Jesus has put into his followers is for quantitatively greater impact than even he had as he worked on earth, and and history shows it. Within a generation, Christ's transformative power spreads throughout the Mediterranean, and that is greater works. That's the potential that Jesus has put in his disciples then, and now listen, in us as well. And you have to take this to heart, to open yourself to this truth that Jesus gets to say what you personally are capable of when you organize yourself around his life's purpose. He's determined that for you. It is to love. And if you'll trust him, then you let him tell you what your potential is. Listen, your potential is immeasurable. Our potential together as a church is beyond what even Jesus did in his lifetime. And that means that we can become the community that he uses to spread his light in the darkness. Doesn't the world need that? The community that has an impact to help people see what life is supposed to be for in a time when people are utterly confused about the purpose of life. Don't we need that? Yeah. And and to be a community of people who aren't walking around or puttering around in the roads with airplanes, but are up in the air flying. Because the author of life has told us we were meant for more. How will we achieve it? This is the last point. Jesus gets to tell us where the power comes from as well. If you are inspired by the thought that the purpose of life is to love and you're willing to entertain this idea that there's an enormous amount of potential in you if Jesus says so, if you think you have to achieve that under your own power, it will not last until the end of this afternoon. You'll be watching your favorite TV show before you make any progress on your own power because you don't have it. And Jesus was clear about that as well. John says it in another place about love. We love... Because he first loved us. You saw it again that time. There there was the blank fill in the blank. We love because Jesus first loved us. That's how we know that love is what we're supposed to do because he he did that. That's how we have the capacity for, uh, for love. Without receiving his love and receiving God's love, you have no hope of loving the people around you. But we love first because Jesus 
loved us. It gives us the capacity to love. And if we try to go on loving and achieving our potential without him, we'll get nowhere. And Jesus was explicit about this. He said it when he was teaching the disciples about the fruit that they were meant to bear. He, he described himself like the vine, and he told them, you are the branches. And then he went on to say, this is in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he meant it. Without the power that Jesus gives us, we have no hope of achieving anything meaningful at all. Just in the same way that a branch will not bear fruit or grow if it's detached from the vine, so you will achieve none of the potential as you pursue the purpose which Jesus declares in your life apart from the power that he gives. But listen now, and this is the good news, to every heart that is willing to welcome Jesus, he promises to come and be present and dwell right there within you to provide the power required to achieve the potential that he says you have as you pursue the purpose that he declares for your life. What child is this who laid to rest in Mary's lap is sleeping? Are you hearing that song again? I love that song. I love a lot of Christmas songs. There are a few that I absolutely hate. <laughs> but this one I love. And I love, I love how mysterious it sounds. Because even as we can describe Jesus with words like life and the other words which John gives us, which we're going to spend uh, each of the subsequent weeks to this one on, in his opening text, John says that Jesus is, is life and he's the one who, who brings light. You heard that, and I already read that. We're going to talk about light next week. And the light shines, but the darkness does not overcome it. That's the week after that. And we saw his glory and the truth that he brings. That's the week after that. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the glory that Jesus brings. What child is this? Oh, he is this child who is full of mystery, even as we can understand them in some measure. And when I stand before an appropriate mystery, you know, it makes me want to worship. Does it do that to anyone else? That's what happens when I stand before this child who is already the king at his birth. And there's a part of me that does want to fall down and bow and, and, and kneel and to worship him. And when that happens, then my heart has a new orientation. And my heart says, ooh, there's something empty there in my heart. And I need this one to come and be the king in my heart. And here's one of the reasons why I love What Child Is This, that song the most. It ends with this admonition. Let loving hearts enthrone him. And what you should do if you're ready to receive from this child, this declaration of what the purpose of your life is, and this determination of your potential, and, and if you're willing to let him distribute the power required, then you must open your heart and say, you are the king of my heart. You are the Lord. I, you, my heart is your throne. And it is stunning to think of that Jesus, who creates everything, through whom everything comes into being, is willing in this moment, and we believe this, to come and sit in your heart as your Lord. He knows you, he loves you, and he wants to come and have that position in your heart this morning. He knows you personally. You cannot be too young, you cannot be too old to receive him afresh in every season to say, you are the Lord of my life. Enable me to love. Give me the power to achieve this potential that you put in me. When you do that, he will sit and reign on this throne. And then, listen now, listen. There is peace and joy Enough to pull a depressed 29-year-old insurance salesman out of the worst depression of his life. And to put this magnificent hymn in his pen. And to do whatever, whatever needs to be done for you to come to life again in this season. 
And I don't know what that is, only you do. But Jesus knows also. And he has come to bring life. And what has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. And my friend, that includes every single one of you here personally. Thank God. Thank God. Let's pray. Oh, God, we love you so much, and we thank you for this time to gather together as your people in this place. We thank you that you welcome us just as we are, every one of us, whether we are full of joy in this season or like William Chatterton Dix, struggling with the worst depression that we've ever been in. We thank you that you are the light that comes into the darkness, and we thank you that the darkness does not overcome it. And that when we open our hearts to you so that you can be the king of our hearts, that you rule and reign so that we can be the people who love others as you told us we are meant to, and so that we individually and together as a church can achieve more than we ever could have dreamed as you empower us day by day by giving us your presence through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to be with us. We love you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.